What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Bama Beat Podcast. I am Brett Hudson. I am joined, as I always am, by Hunter Johnson, but neither of us are the most important person on this podcast because we have an additional guest on on this episode. You primarily know him as the caretaker of Max and Murphy, but in his spare time, he is the head baseball coach at the University of Alabama, Brad Bohannon. Coach, how's life these days? Life is good, uh, certainly spending our time a little differently than than we normally would be this time of year but uh you know trying to settle into a routine and, and not lose my mind so is your wife sick of you or do i have to answer that I'll be <laughs> no um, no you don't have to <laughs> I, brad you know i i think she's just really really enjoyed uh you know me being at home a lot more and and i'll tell you what the uh I've been doing some some work on that honeydew list, you know, that's usually pretty stagnant this time of year. So my yard has never looked better. Uh, house is in good shape. So I, I think it's uh, I think everybody's winning at home. I, anyway. feel, I feel like almost everybody has the most pristine yard they've ever had right now. And I'm sure with you being a baseball coach, I mean, you're probably a big yard guy anyway. So I can only imagine how good your yard's looking right now. Well, you, you know, like the biggest argument Kim and I have ever gotten in in our marriage, uh, when we bought our first house together in Kentucky, you know, once you buy your house, you go to Home Depot or Lowe's like every three days for a month. And we were at Home Depot in February and I started walking over to the garden section and Kim's like, hey, where, where are you going? I was like, well, I mean, it's springtime. I got to go get a lawnmower. And she's like, oh, hell no. You're going to mow the yard one time or you're going to be gone for six months. I'm not mowing the yard. And uh, I could just tell by her tonality that, that this was not the right battle to fight. So <laughs> I, I threw in my man card and, and paid somebody to mow my yard. So um, that, that, that's a hard thing for, for me to do. But I've been pulling weeds and playing flowers and that kind of stuff. I mean, in, in fairness, she was probably right. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. I, but. But, I mean, it was our first house together. I just wanted to get a lawnmower. I mean, I just feel like I'm just – I've lost my man card. I don't have no. a lawnmower. I don't own a lawnmower. That's just – that's disappointing as a baseball look, coach to say. Look, I, I get it, man. I mean, my, my wife and I are in our first house that, that we've owned together. We've been living in apartments um, for these last few years. And now that I have a, a lawnmower and a weed eater and an edger in my garage, I, I, I totally get it. I do feel bad for you. I mean, I, I – I, I honestly do. I'm I'm feeling myself turning into yard dad, like where I spent all of my waking free time doing yard projects. Like I was I was Googling and trying to find out what kind of grass I have in my backyard so I know what to do with it. That's what I was doing yesterday. Well, I, I think the, those two little babies at home may have a little bit to do with that as well. Yeah. They'll they'll be helpers though. They'll they'll be helping <laughs> me with yard projects before long. Coach, random, qu coach, random question. Have you ever had a, a coaching job where you were also in charge of like cutting the grass in the field? You know, not, not me, but what, what, I, I finished playing at Barry College, which was a, you know, a small school in, in Rome, Georgia, and all the players had had jobs and we had to mow, mow the yard, mow around the, the field. So I did it as a player, but uh, unfortunately, I did not do it as a coach. I played in high school. I played for uh, Kyle Cameron's dad in high school, and those the brothers were our coaches. And my gosh, they were meticulous about that grass. Like it would, it was like the biggest thing to them. So I just wondered if you had ever had to do that. 
Yeah, I, I'm not a great field guy. I think that's why <laughs> our, our folks at Alabama, John DeWitt and those guys, if I get within 15 feet of the the uh, the gator to, to drag or if I even touch a rake, they just tackle me. Um, <laughs> I think they know I would probably just screw something up. <laughs> I guess we should get to a little bit of, of baseball now. I mean, un- unfortunately, y'all had to end the season 16 and one right before your your first SEC series. And I know that that tore up everybody in in the program, because I remember being there at Regents Field in Birmingham on Tuesday night on what was ultimately the final game of the season. And all everybody could talk about was how fired up and excited they were to, to test this momentum and this team y'all had put together um, against the rigors of a 30 game SEC schedule. And I can't help but notice that you were more confident about this team at 16 and one than you were at O and O. Now that seems pretty, pretty obvious and, and understandable, but did you, did you actually gain more confidence in the quality of this team over the course of the season? Or were you just trying to be understated and let a relatively young team figure themselves out before you put two I have expectations on it? Probably some of both, Brett, to be quite honest. You okay. know, I, I, I felt really good about our team going into the season, and, and I intentionally uh, probably held back a little bit. Um, I, it just didn't make any sense to add any expectations or undue pressure uh, on a team that was so unproven and, and so many new guys in, in, new, in important roles. You know, what, once we got four weeks into the season, I knew Owen Diodati was really good. I, I knew Connor Prelip was special. I knew Antoine was going to do really well. But I've also been in the league for 16 and a half years now, and, and I've seen some really talented freshmen not be able to get out of their own way for a year. So I, I expected those guys to do well, but I, I think if you you hype new guys up before they go out and do it, you're going to end up with egg on your face more times than not in the SEC. So um, I, there was no doubt with anybody within our program that we had a really good team. And, um, you know, I, I was not too proud to lay in the weeds for two or three weeks before that truly came to the surface. Well, I still, I still remember when we did our preseason podcast, I, I came away from that, that conversation thinking that you were really high on this team. And then, you know, after the, you know, once the season ends hearing you talk, it was like, wow, he really, really, really liked this team. Yeah, 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 the the thing that uh, that you just can't predict is how a team or individuals respond to getting punched in the in the nose, and, and that never really happened for us. I mean, yes, we lost a game, but um, you know, if we had played the season out, at some point we would have had to go get Connor Prelip in the second or third inning, most likely. Now, maybe maybe he would have gone all year not giving up a run, you know, but. Um, <laughs> You know, Diodati would have had a weekend where he went one for 14 and needed a day off or needed to go down in the order for a week to catch his breath. I mean, I've just been doing it long enough, and I've had enough big leaguers where those things happen that it would have happened for those guys. So um, I, I, the, the thing that's also hard to quantify is I could just feel the, the, the culture, the camaraderie, the, the team dynamics, um, all of those things were above average for this group. I mean, these kids just really liked each other and they practiced hard and uh, they were really determined. And, um, you know, even though we got so many good players back next year, it's still going to be a different team. 
yeah, that's that's something I wanted to ask you. Like, how much of that magic can be recaptured? And I know the the, the adage, and it's true that you replace one person on a team, and and the team chemistry is is different. It's a very fragile thing. Uh, but thanks to the NCAA, you're going to be getting a lot more of this team back than you ever thought uh, reasonable um, in in the past, or at least some of that team back since seniors now have the opportunity to, to come back or at least the option if they, if they so desire, how much of that magic can be recaptured, if at all? Well, you certainly help a bunch. And I mean, that's a big part of, of my job, right? I mean, a, a huge part of being a head coach is creating a, a culture and an environment within your program and maintaining it and building upon it at, at all times. So we obviously have a lot of people coming back, um, you know, the the biggest thing is just the, the the type of people we have within our program. We have a bunch of guys that are just high character, and they're really uh, determined to be good at baseball. We have a lot of guys that consider themselves, you know, future professionals that have a burning desire to, to be great and to win collectively and to reach their potential individually as a baseball player. And you know, I, I, I can have an impact on who somebody is, but I'm not sure I can truly change who someone is. And I, I think one of the big reasons that the the culture, the environment of our club and program is really good is because of the work that Jason Jackson and Jerry Zuli and Matt Wright have done of um, identifying the right people and personalities, along with, you know, the physical talent uh, that we've brought into our program the past couple of years. Uh, uh, something in the season that I wanted to, to ask you about, I want to ask you about the UNLV series because that's your first road series of the year. It's your second series of the season. It comes after a 10 to three midweek game win over Alabama state in which you called the team quote, a bunch of silly little boys looking forward to going to Las Vegas. And then the team goes to UNLV sweeps that series eight to nothing, five to four, five to one. They do so while the Deontay Wilder Tyson Fury fight is in Las Vegas that they actually have that day off of, of, of the fight day. Thanks to rain. They put a double header on, on Friday. So they had to kind of take that in stride and then win those first two games, come back and win Sunday after a, a day where I'm pretty sure it's e- very easy to get distracted on a Saturday fight day in Las Vegas. Feels like that's something that's very easy to do, especially when you're a, 18 to 22 year old guy. So kind of tell, tell me about what the team was like in Las Vegas and how they reacted to all of that. And was that kind of a turning point in the season where you thought your, your culture was solidified and you had something here? Yeah, I was really proud of our team for, for that weekend. And, you know, we talked about this as a coaching staff going out there. Like I, I wasn't worried about our kids at all. I mean, you don't, take them to play in Las Vegas if you don't trust them. You know, we've got great kids. You know, college baseball is hard in that you play so often. I mean, you play four days a week over a 14-week period, and it's really a challenge to to bring a a high level of focus and mentality for kids at that age that consistently. So um, to do it in a when you're out of schedule where you have a doubleheader and a day off and, and there's all these, you know, distractions, uh, and we played really well. I mean, in, in all three facets of the game, I mean, we had eight or nine guys throw the ball really well. Um, had a lot of production up and down the lineup offensively played really good defense. And, 
that was a big weekend for us. And, um, you know, I, I certainly didn't know how it would go with, with all the, the outside uh, distractions, but I couldn't have been more proud of our kids. We played good baseball out there. And I, I think our kids, too, they respected UNLV. Uh, and, you know, we talked a lot, too, about the first couple of weeks. We were, you know, picked last in all the, the polls, and we were off to a good start and still weren't getting any votes or any of that. And, you know, nobody outside of our little world at Alabama, I, I think, truly respected uh, what we were doing the first couple of weeks of the year. And, and to their defense, I mean, based on, you know, the past two or three years and, and having so many new people, like, I think that made sense from their standpoint. But our guys continually wanted to to prove that we were legitimate. And, and on the most part, we did a pretty good job of taking that mindset to the ballpark uh, the first four weeks of the year. Do you think you're going to be able to play that card again in 2021, that kind of disrespect card? Because you were starting to get some top 25 attention there towards the end of the year, um, like right before the the UAB game, after the Lipscomb series, y'all are in the top 25. And, and since obviously you're returning a, a good bit of the the team, you're you're likely to get some of that attention again for, for 2021. Do you think you'll be able to play that card again? Well, we'll have to, I mean, Alabama hasn't been in a regional for, for several years now. So yeah. uh, that's the mentality you have to have uh, every year in the sec West. I mean, you can be pretty darn good and finish in seventh place. So, um, you know, I, I hope we get to a point where, you know, we can set bigger goals and, and, and focus mentally on, you know, more than just, you know, proving that we're worthy. But, um, you know, until we get in some regionals and, and play deep into June, then then that has to be the mindset. Well, I'm sure you'd like seeing, you know, things like came out this morning, Connor Prelip being the top uh, prospect for the 2022 draft. But I'm sure like, you'd like to see your guys get attention like that. But I'm sure also you're kind of like, I would still prefer to be under the radar a little bit. But now everybody knows who Connor Prelip is. He pretty much announced himself pretty well this year. Yeah, you, you can't hide on Friday nights in the Southeastern Conference very long. So, <laughs> um, you know, Connor kind of, uh, I mean, it, I was about to say he kind of went out and did what we thought he would do. And that, that's probably a little unfair. I, I don't think you ever expect anybody to go in their first four starts of their college career and not give up a run. But Connor is special, man. He, he's just, he's got a lightning bolt for left arm and you know, the one thing I did know about him in the recruiting process, he, he's, uh, you know, a little bit of a quiet kid and you just don't know what's inside of him. But, you know, his intangibles are every bit as good as his physical traits. I mean, he's a, a really in, intense competitor. He just doesn't verbalize it or, or show it so much with his body language. And um, but, you know, he's in a different gene pool than most of the kids his age playing baseball and, um, you know, really proud of the success he's had you know, so far to this point, and I think the sky's the limit for him, and I, I think he's got the right man, mindset to continue to grow. So, something with him that I was really curious to see, and I was hoping to see it against SEC hitters, but such is life. Uh, I was I was curious to see how he used his fastball because, I mean, from the fall, you could tell that his breaking ball was absolutely good enough to to strike guys out in the SEC. And if you, if he got you the two strikes, it was over, but you probably got to have a fastball or a change up or some blend of both to get two two strikes against a good or above average 
college hitter. So I was kind of curious how he would use that fastball in his freshman season and if it would be effective. And it was, it was very, very effective, especially in his final two starts. I mean, and I'm not a talent evaluator, so that's just kind of a, a logical line of thinking for, for me. Was there, was there any of that thought process with y'all? Was there anything with him, be it the, the fastball or otherwise that y'all were curious to see how it played from him? So JJ and I were talking in January and we were like, look, it's been too easy for Prelip. You know, he came in, he just got, <laughs> he chopped our guys up all fall. He was anybody associated with the program in any way, shape or form would tell you that he was our best guy. So like the three scrimmages before we opened, we were like, all right, we've got to put Prelip against our, our best hitters. And we put like, you know, Gentry Prater, our back, those guys on the other team and, we shortened the lineup where he only had to face like, you know, the best six guys. And, and he still like, wasn't giving up runs. And we were like, it, it's just been too easy for him to this point. And like, here's the thing, like you watch Connor and like, you know, we have the, the track man and the Rapsodo and the, you know, the high resolution cameras and, and you stand behind the plate and you watch his fastball and it, it just looks true. And all the metrics on those, you know, machines that measure the spin axis and spin rate and all that. Like, there's nothing exceptional about it. But the dude threw an unbelievable amount of 92 mile an hour fastballs right down the middle the first month of the year that just got missed. And there's just nothing with my eyes or with the metrics that that say that he should get that much swing and miss with his fastball. But but he did the first month. So yeah, I, I don't know if that would have happened in league play as the as the hitters got better and, and had more strength and more bat speed, was he going to get as much mileage out of 92 down the middle? And and that's the thing, like JJ and, and I, we watched Connor and there, there's so much more room for growth. Like, you know, he threw strikes, but his command wasn't great. Like, you know, we would call a fastball away and he would throw it down the middle or maybe you, you throw it in and he would miss for a strike on the outer half of the plate. And, for whatever reason, there's some real deception there because, um, you know, he got a lot more mileage out of his fastball than he probably should have. Um, but, you know, with that being said, you know, there's some things that you just can't measure. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't know how much uh, swing and miss he would have gotten on fastballs down the middle in league play. And that, that's one of many unknowns that we have at this point. Speaking of pitchers who who performed pretty well this year for you, I mean, just looking at the at the bullpen this year, I mean, Tyler Ross didn't give up an, an earned run in over 11 innings. Uh, Garrett Rooks didn't give up an earned run in almost 11 innings. Uh, everybody knows Chase Lee, hashtag the Viper, had that huge outing against Lipscomb and was uh, generally awesome. All season long, Brock Guffey was good. Jacob McNary was good. I knew the and the the bullpen was obviously a, a strength of your of your squad coming in. You were pretty clear about that in the preseason, and that was obvious. Did it meet or exceed your expectations for it? And what's the ceiling for it as it goes to 2021? Yeah, I, I mean the bullpen exceeded my expectations, and not that I didn't have confidence in them, but they were just awesome. I mean, they were amazing. And, you know, we were really torn going into the season of, of what roles to put guys in. And, you know, I talked about this a couple times, but, um, 
you know, everybody wants to be a starting pitcher. And, you know, we thought about maybe starting Ross or starting Guffey and because um, they had earned it. Jacob McNary was in the mix, Casey Cobb. And we decided, hey, out of the gate, let, let's put the older guys on the back end because they're just a little more confident and comfortable coming in with people on base and, and pitching and at uncertain times where, you know, for a young guy that hasn't been through it yet, if they know they're pitching this exact day and they get to start with a clean inning, maybe it could be easier. And, you know, everybody just did an awesome job in the role that they were in. And, you know, not that Rooks or Ross or Cobb or any of those guys couldn't have done a great job of starting. But um, I, I think it just says so much about the, the the character of those guys. And everybody was just like, hey, coach, I, I'm cool. Just whenever you give me the ball, I'm going to do the best I can. And um, and I thought JJ did a great job of, of using different guys in different roles. And I'm just really proud of the, the way we pitched out of the bullpen. And, you know, you would certainly feel good about it going into 21 with so many of those guys coming back. Back to the podcast and the interview with Brad Bohannon in a second. But first, we want to tell you that this podcast is made possible by the fine folks at Wickles Pickles. Alabama-owned, Alabama-made family recipe that is over 90 years in the making. But since 1998, you've been able to find it in the pickle aisle of your local store or more recently than that on WicklesPickles.com. It's a great quarantining food, great uh, social distancing food. They have pickles, relishes, okras, sandwich spread, uh, diverse array of pickle related products that you can use in a bunch of different ways uh, to get you through, help you spice up your meals and make them a little bit better while we're somewhat limited in what we can do while we're in this age of social distancing and self-quarantining. Go to wicklespickles.com to see their entire spread of products. And now back to the interview with Alabama baseball coach, Brad Bohannon. And looking forward to whenever the, the major league baseball draft happens it's it's hard to project because the draft is could be as few as five rounds whenever it does happen but but you would imagine a guy like Tyler Gentry is going to be someone who is seriously considered within those those five rounds he ends his season hitting 429 on base for 554 slugging 750 thanks to six doubles and and four home runs in uh 56 at bats OPS of 1.304 um, on, on the year. Even stole two bases for you because, of, of course, also got hit by seven pitches. I don't think pitchers like Tyler Gentry that much, which makes sense considering <laughs> he uh, he hits the crap out of them. I mean, just what what did he have going early in, in this 2020 season? What did he have going for him? And did he show development in a certain aspect that the the layman wouldn't notice? Tyler Gentry is just a hell of a player. Um, you know, you can break down all of his skills and all that, but he's just a really well-rounded, really good baseball player. And, you know, last year for his first year in the league, he had a great season. You know, he hit whatever, 320-something and hit 13 home runs. And, you know, he really didn't have any anybody hitting around him that could protect him at all. And, you know, his last month was – you could just see it. He got to early May and he started to get comfortable and you could see him really turn the corner. And, you know, I, I coach Saban said this the other day, you know, I wasn't going to answer hypothetical questions. So I, I probably shouldn't get too long winded on this, but I, I just, I don't know what's going to happen with the draft or happen with Tyler, but I hate it because he was going to have a huge season and was really playing himself, uh, really high up the draft board. And I, I would still imagine that if there's any sort of draft that he'll be a good pick. Um, 
but when you perform in our league and you have, you know, tools and talent, which he does, um, like you really, really get paid and get drafted high. And I, I hate it for him because I just, he's probably not going to go as high as he would have if we played the season out. Cause he was really, really going to perform. Most coach, important. Go ahead. All right, coach. I, this is a little bit of a, a funny question here, but I, you know, Brett Auerbach's a, a favorite of, of me and Brett on the podcast. I think a fan favorite of Alabama fans. Uh, me and Brett, I I'm not even sure if you were aware of this, had started a campaign that we thought that Auerbach should get to play every position throughout the year. Was there any chance of that happening? You know what? I, I, I There's a decent chance I would have succumbed to the, the peer pressure of that. Um, you know, I, I don't think we could have done it in one game because I, I think if you come out and say you're going to do that, it's really hard to tell your kids that hey, hey, we need you to play your best today. We really respect our opponent, but Brett's going to play every position today. Right um, now, I do think at some point uh, over the course of the year, I, I would have been able to get him everywhere because, like, he literally can play everywhere. Um, Brett's a really unique college baseball player. I, I don't know if I've ever had anybody like him. You know, that well-rounded, um, but. You know, he there's no doubt in my mind that he could have pitched an inning and he probably would have been 87, 88 and thrown a bunch of strikes <laughs> and with a decent change up and moved the ball around. And, you know, nobody's jacked about a five nine first baseman. But, <laughs> you know, if the ball's thrown in the dirt, I guarantee you would have found a way to scoop it. So if you can play center, you certainly can play left and right. And if, um, you know, he wouldn't have been the rangiest shortstop, but if he would have gotten to the ball, it would have been an out. So, um yeah, Brett's special, and um, you're probably not surprised to hear that he's a good student and getting a business degree and, and, you know, a really cool kid and the best spike ball player on the team and uh, just a really, really special young man. Whoa, 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 whoa. Y'all play spike ball? No, there is no y'all. I, I do not get in the middle of the spike ball. Now, I, I'll... I'll do some work on the ping pong table, but I, I stay out of spike ball. Oh man, spike ball! Spike ball is taking over the world, y'all. Spike ball is a fantastic sport. You're not a spike ball player, coach. I, I'm not. I, I just, you know, the first time I saw, them, so they were out in the outfield, and I saw guys diving around and uh, and all that. So I figured that was a, a little outside of my uh, fitness range. That uh, that that's fair. Now, but ping pong though, you say you're. You're a decent ping pong player. Power rank yourself in terms of ping pong ability among your players and your coaches. You know, I would say if you're talking about a group of 45, I would say I'm probably in the, the back half of the top 10. Okay. Um, you know, I, I just have a lot more patience than the young kids. You know, I'm a defensive player. I, I don't <laughs> go for the kill. don't go for the slam unless it – you know, the game just presents itself. And, you know, a lot of the, the young guys just don't have the patience to hang with me. But, um, but you know, there's some guys like, like Jim Jarvis that I'm just – I don't even play Jim anymore. You know, I, I could – that we played uh, early in the fall and it didn't go so good for me. And, um, and he's only gotten better since. So uh, – but, but I can hold my own. Very competitive. This is fantastic. I, I – cannot believe that y'all are playing spike ball and ping pong in your in your free time this is this is just fantastic news and, and hunter by the way i want to clarify something he absolutely was aware of our crusade to get red <laughs> hour back in all nine positions of the field 
because I told him on multiple occasions. <laughs> <laughs> he had no choice but to know because I wasn't going to drop it. And there was, frankly, frankly, there was one game lucky. late. There was one game late where there was a perfect opportunity to put our back in right field, and me oh, and Brett both him. noticed it and were like, "Wow, well, you could have put him there." Ugh. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, guys, I'm sorry that I wasn't thinking about that at that point in <laughs> time. <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, I can't imagine why. I mean, I, I don't. I, I imagine there is a clause in your contract that incentivizes playing one player in all nine positions of the field just as much as it incentivizes winning. I'm, I'm confident that that clause is in, is in your contract. And if not, I'll talk to, I'll talk to Greg Byrne about that. That'll have to be corrected. Uh, to, to get back to actual serious baseball things, someone who really impressed me in a small sample size of, of the season was Peyton Wilson. I mean, he, he kind of forced his way into the lineup a couple weeks into the year because you gave him a couple of spot opportunities and and he killed it and he like Brett Auerbach is a very versatile player. I mean he played center and catcher in the same game at least once if not multiple times and I, I think you said that he could play some third base as well. Is that right? Well, uh, he, he played a lot of second base in high school. Second, so, okay. Yeah, Peyton's really – he's got a lot of the traits that Brett Auerbach has. I mean, he can run. He can throw. Um, he's got a background of catching and playing infield, and, you know, it's a lot easier to move away from home plate than closer to home plate. You don't see a lot of infielder outfielders come to the infield. So, you know, Peyton's a guy – I think I said a couple times – you know, we had 12 guys that had like 25 or more at-bats. So I thought we did a pretty good job over 17 games of, of trying to get a lot of guys opportunity and truly figuring out what they could do and trying to get them comfortable. But, you know, I actually don't look at the our own stats like every day. You know, maybe once a week I glance at them. And uh, I looked at our stats a couple of weeks in, and I was like, oh, my gosh, we've only got Peyton six at-bats. Like, So I told the coaches, I was like, hey – hold me to this I have to start Peyton you know two games next week or whatever you know and then the the time comes and they're like oh you Bo you said you're starting Peyton I was like well who am I supposed to sit well I don't want to sit Prater I don't want to sit Gentry I don't want to sit, you know and you get on this list of like 11 guys you don't want to sit and I'm like all right I, I just I have to play Peyton like he's good he needs to play and you know then he had that that week where he was the SEC freshman of the week so um, you know, he's a, a really talented baseball player, and, and you're probably not shocked to hear that he, he's a really confident, competitive young man as well. I imagine he didn't have much of a choice coming from, from that family. You, you compete or die in that family. You know, what's funny is, you know, Peyton was behind. He, he wasn't a very good bunner this fall. And, you know, we don't bunt a ton, but... Um, I'm like, Peyton, you can really run, man. Like, you, this needs to be a, a, an arsenal in your toolkit, and um, I want you to get better at bunting. So he came back from Christmas break, and he was, like, bunting really well. And I'm like, dude, did you, like, go home and bun over Christmas? Nobody bunts over Christmas break. And he's like, yeah, my my dad just was, like, mad at me. He, he came to practice one day and saw how, how bad I was at bunting, and he, like, made me bunt at home over Christmas break. So I'm like, well, there you go, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic I, I cannot imagine being forced to bunt over over christmas break was that was he bored to tears or yeah i i think i think he 
just had to get better at bunting or his dad was going to make him sleep outside or something. <laughs> well, I mean, motivation comes in many forms. Uh, another freshman that impressed me was was Jim Jarvis, someone who can play multiple positions in, in the infield and, and do so pretty well. Also shows a little sock in, in his uniform game, which is which is always a good thing. I'm, I'm pro sock in, in the baseball uniform and, and hit 267. Uh, what what'd you see out of out of Jim in his short freshman season? Yeah, Jim's really good. And, uh, you know, he had a great back end of the fall and a great preseason. And um, now you're talking about a freshman that started most all of our games and, and hit 267. And, and I, what I would tell you is like, he was just starting to get comfortable. You know, as soon as the the real game started, he just he played with some some tension and you know some tightness. And uh, I, I got whatever two or three weeks into it, and I, I called him in. I'm like, Jim, listen, man, I'm like you're gonna play like most all the games going forward. So you, you just you got to relax, man. Like there's no reason to try hard. Um, he's a really good player and a true shortstop. You know, he's got a, a well above average arm and. Um, comes from a baseball family his oldest brother Luke played for me at Auburn and uh, his middle brother Mike played at San Diego State so um, you know he, he's one of those guys that didn't have a choice growing up but to be a really good baseball player so you know he's a lot like Brett Auerbach in that he, he's just really well-rounded and, and uh, a really intelligent baseball player and um, in a lot of ways was not a freshman out there so Really excited to have him for at least two more years, and uh, he's going to have a great career here at Alabama. So, Coach, kind of, you know, with the season ending a few weeks ago, like, you know, I would think if any any other time you had downtime, you'd be recruiting. Like, but what are you really doing right now? Is it more so just, like, staying on the phone with players and that kind of thing? Like, what what's your day look like? Yeah, I mean – it's different, you know, this time of year, generally, uh, you know, a baseball game, you're at the ballpark at least eight hours a day with all the, the timing of our pregame work and then how long a, a baseball game is. So it, it's different. There's still some stuff to do professionally, like obviously spending more time on the phone with with recruits and there's stuff to do administratively and uh, trying to stay connected with our kids. But, you know, also I, I have had more personal time, certainly more than, than I normally would this time of year. So um, you know, the one good thing about this whole virus is, uh, I would say at least a couple things like number one, it's really reinforced what I love about my job. And like, I, I don't take being the head coach at Alabama lightly at all. Like I, I don't feel like I've ever taken it for granted, but, uh, I miss our kids so much. Like I just love being around our guys. And I mean, I, I love the sport of baseball, but we just have awesome kids and I just miss them. Uh, there's no, no price tag for being around them every single day. And, um, you know, and then the other positive thing about this virus is I've gotten to spend a lot more time with family and I hardly see Kim at all um, when the sun's up, you know, th this time of year. So I actually like my wife. I like hanging out with her and spending time with her. Um, probably should tweet more about her, less about my dogs. Um, but I've gotten to spend more time with Kim and Max and Murphy and, and Kim's mom, Janet. And that, that's been a real positive <laughs> wow, uh, a coach likes his wife. That's uh, <laughs> it's not something you see every day. What a what a novel concept. <laughs> I do. I, I like hanging out with her. Wow, you've you've been able to keep the magic. Good for you. Um, has has the recruiting pitch changed since you're having to do everything by phone and you can't 
have guys in for for weekends or, or or do different things with them has has the recruiting pitch changed a little bit a since you're kind of limited in what you're doing and b since you have a lot more time to get in contact with them i imagine you're calling individual recruits far more often now than you would under normal circumstances where you're as you mentioned spending over eight hours a day in a ballpark watching a, a long baseball game and then having to deal with that cumbersome press conference afterward um, are you kind of changing the recruiting pitch now that you're recruiting differently and doing so more often than you would otherwise? I don't think the pitch is changing at all. I think we've certainly got, you know, kids attention a, a little more because of the success we had early season, you know, a year ago you're, you're selling, Hey, come in and play as a freshman and, um, you're selling, you know, a dream and a vision where now we've got something tangible to kind of back up the progress that we're making. So, you know, what we're selling isn't changing. We're selling, you know, the personal relationship piece and our university and the SEC and, and, and all of that, but um, really just trying to strengthen relationships with kids that were already on our recruiting board that we had seen, you know, last summer or in the fall. So everybody's in a holding pattern, you know, we're in a holding pattern because we can't go watch kids play. And I think a lot of recruits are, in a holding pattern, um, you know, cause they're not able to visit campuses right now. So, you know, like I said, just cultivating relationships with, with coaches and players and, um, you know, till we can get out and see them play again. There, there are a lot of aspects of, of all of this that make recruiting and, and life in general and college athletics pretty difficult, but I'm, I'm of the opinion that baseball got somewhat, has it a little bit better than others in that, their 2021 recruiting class may not be as affected because think of it this way, all spring sports are going to have five scholarship classes on campus, right? Cause they didn't lose their senior class previously. So they're going to have the four that they had in 2020 and then add the freshmen that are enrolling in August of 2020. So for your 2021 season, you're going to have five scholarship classes on campus. Then you're going to lose one, the seniors or the the seniors that would have been in 2020. Now we're seniors in 2021. They'll be gone. So you'll still have four scholarship classes on campus when you're trying to sign your 2021 guys to come on campus in, in 2022. And I imagine sports like softball and tennis and golf and track and field are really going to have to to fight that. But with baseball, A, you can have recruits never make it to campus thanks to the MLB draft, but also baseball is unlike most other spring sports in that there is a bigger draw to leave school early to go pro. So y'all might not have that biggest affliction of huge rosters at the end of the 2021 season when you're trying to bring guys on for the freshmen to be in 2022. At least that's that's my opinion. Does that make sense to you? Do you think baseball has it a little bit easier in that one tiny aspect of all of this? Well, you know, people have, have asked me about, you know, now that you potentially could have five different groups here, the roster sizes and all that. And, you know, for us here at Alabama, we're going to be able to make it work a lot easier for this next year than we are a couple of years down the road. And, and here's why. Just to use round numbers, let's say you had 10 freshmen on the team this year and then you signed 10 kids in November. Well, you know, in theory, this fall you're going to have 20 freshmen. So, <laughs> like, 
that that doesn't work out of 35 guys, um, you know, there's obviously every year some natural attrition and, and this and that. But, you know, the real issue that you're going to see in college baseball or is going to happen, you know, two or three years from now, um, you know, the kids that are potentially coming back, like, you know, they don't count against the roster and scholarship limits. So um, it's going to be a lot easier to, to make those guys wor- work now. Certainly going to be more uh, competition for playing time and this and that if you have a, a bunch of seniors back. But, you know, I, I think around the country in the equivalency sports, I, I really think there'll be fewer seniors come back than everyone assumes. Um, you know, and I'm not ready to, to get in specifics about our club, nor have I really gotten specific with a lot of our seniors. But, you know, when you're financing 15, 20 grand a year and you have your degree uh, and maybe you're not necessarily a professional player like does it really make sense to to go back and get another 20 grand in debt when you have your degree just for the baseball experience maybe it does maybe it, it doesn't that's different for every person but I don't think every senior is going to come back just because they have the opportunity and I'm not just speaking about Alabama I'm just speaking around the country but you know you start doing the math on a couple of years down the road and everybody's got a red shirt um, you know it won't quite be as bad at the sec level in baseball because kids can get drafted once they're age eligible so um you know even though all these kids that were sophomores this year are going to be sophomores next year tj reeves tyler ross drew williamson you know all those guys are going to be eligible for the draft based on their age right uh you know in our programs at a point where you know going forward we're going to have multiple kids drafted every year even if it is a shortened draft so you know, I think we'll be able to work through it maybe a little better than some other sports, but there's going to be a real issue here in the next couple of years. Well, Hunter, feel free to to empty the clip because all I have is the is the rapid fire nonsense that we ended our previous podcast with I, Coach Bo with. So if you got anything I, else, go for it. I'm ready for rapid fire, man. Outstanding. You uh you know how this works, Coach. I have a few. Uh, mostly non-baseball related questions uh, for people to get to know you a little bit better. We'll go through them as quick as we can to end the episode. Are you ready? Let's do it. What breeds are Max and Murphy and how old are they? Max and Murphy are both Labradoodles. Murphy is eight and a half. He'll be nine in December. And Max is, uh, is going to be two in May. And they are precious. Absolutely. You have to cook a meal to impress the top recruit in the country. If he likes the meal, he's coming to Alabama. What are you cooking? Oh, I'm ordering takeout somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the only thing that, that I can cook that I, I think is like really good is um, I, I make these uh, uh, peppers, stuffed peppers in the crock pot with uh, turkey meat and black beans and, and rice and zucchini. And um, now I don't think a, a high school baseball player necessarily would love that but that's my my go-to meal i think me and brett might yeah uh, yeah if, if you guys can throw a slider like pre-lip then uh, i'll make them for you uh, I, I i definitely cannot most memorable in-home visit and why <laughs> how much time do we have I, i've got a few stories that i'll go with the most recent one so you know, I went to visit Antoine Jean and his parents. I was hoping you would tell this story. Yeah, after he got drafted and the, the twins kept hiking the money up. So, you know, I, I've got a really powerful presentation that I've worked on over several years that's got a lot of statistics and, 
of breaking down major league rosters and the draft and the Southeastern Conference and all that. And, you know, I went to Antoine's home to visit with his parents. And, you know, Antoine's English is very good. Uh, Quebec is is French-speaking province. And now a lot of people speak English up there. And Antoine's parents can speak English, but it's broken and uh, uh, certainly not as good as Antoine. So I, I had this presentation and, and my man, Jack Hale, our director of ops, went through it and used Google Translate and put it all in French. So I had all these handouts uh, about the draft and graduation rates and, uh, and and all that and major league rosters, and it was translated in French. So that, that was a really neat experience, and, and luckily it played out well for us. Google Translate earned you your Sunday starter. Never forget that. Yeah, so the other part of the story is, you know, Kim, took, my wife took uh, French in college. Um, she doesn't speak it fluently, but her vocabulary is pretty good. So she gave me a few things. And like, while I was traveling, she kept texting me like, Oh, say this, say this. And I got ready to leave. And, uh, the very last thing that Kim had texted me to say, I said, Antoine is sacrament bon. And that means Antoine is damn good. I said that and we all laughed and thought it's hilarious. So that's Antoine. And, and I, that's our, one of our inside jokes is every time, uh, he pitches and does something good. I said, that's sacrament bon. <laughs> that's fantastic if i have my timeline correct you ended your college playing career in 1997 and first surfaced as a coach on wake forest staff in 2001 so first is that correct it is you know i i finished playing and then i had a a year to finish school because i tra- uh, transferred a couple times and played uh, some independent baseball had a real job for a year and figured out I, I didn't want to do that. And then I, I went to grad school and that's when I started coaching. So that's, that's what I wanted to know. What was Brad Bohannon doing between June of 1997 and February, 2001? What was the real job? I worked for an IT consulting company and uh, I figured out in a hurry that I had no interest in sitting in a cubicle for 50 hours a week, the, the next 40 years of my life. Yikes. And my final question, so your your first season in, in coaching was as a grad assistant at Wake Forest in 2001. Do you remember anything about the 2001 Wake Forest Demon Deacons? I do, yeah. It was an awesome experience, and we uh, had a great team. And, uh, you know, looking back, I was really fortunate that Coach Greer, the head coach, let me do a lot more than I was qualified for at the time. And um, <laughs> it was a, a really, really neat experience. Can you guess the overall record of that team? Oh, gosh. No, Y'all I know played we 62 good. games. I'll give you that. Oh, gosh. No idea. We had to win in the 40s because uh, we were really good. 62, so I'm going to say 45 and 17. 44 and 18. Very oh, good. Close. Wow. Okay. 16, <laughs> 16 and eight in, in ACC play that year. Y'all, according to the Wake Forest media guy, y'all were ACC champions that year. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. We had a great club and had some future big leaguers on it. And, um, you know, I, I tell this story too. When, when we won the, the league in 06 at Kentucky, I, I didn't understand what a big deal it was to win the league, you know, because I'd been at Wake Forest. We had two really good teams where we won the league one year and, get to Kentucky we rebuild that thing win the league in year three and um haven't gotten a ring since so uh (laughs) when we win an SEC championship at Alabama you'll see me uh go absolutely nuts 
Coach, I've got to interject there. Y'all didn't win the league in 06. Y'all split the league in 06. This 100% correct. (laughs) You split it, you still get a ring. I know. I was in college, and that was a a really, really fun baseball team to watch in 2006. My final final note on that 2001 Wake Forest team, do you remember how that season ended? Uh, Gosh, I don't. Y'all, I guess in a regional somewhere. Well, Tennessee, it, it right? did end in a regional, and you uh, you started a rivalry that you would be using to this day without even knowing it. Tennessee eliminated y'all in that 2001 season, so you've uh, you've clearly hated Tennessee ever since, and you took the job <laughs> at Alabama to slowly but surely exact your revenge. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Well, uh, coach. We appreciate you joining us here on the on the Bama Beat podcast. I'm sure there are plenty of recruits and you can be calling and honeydews you can be doing and apparently stuffed peppers you could be cooking in a crock pot. So we we appreciate you taking so much time to to mess around with us and, and we look forward to having you on the podcast again when it's time for the 2021 season to get going. Hopefully it'll be here soon. Really enjoyed it, guys. Y'all have a great day and a great week. Thanks, coach.